We're going to continue with our 8th century prophets. Uh, before we get going, let's kick over our, our goals again. We're trying to get a basic understanding of what justice, righteousness, and the 8th century prophets are. That is a head kind of goal, right? As a learning goal. Second, we're trying to identify how these relate to Jesus' day, the gospel, and our current world. So we're trying to contextualize the, those things to apply them to what's going on around us right now, not just keep it in our heads. Third, we want to discover ways we personally and as contact need to shape our lives to submit to God's way. What's this asking me to change about myself? What's this asking us to change about who we are as a church community? And finally, we want to intentionally step out of our comfort zones to engage others with righteousness and justice. If it doesn't leave the building, we're not getting it, right? And that doesn't just mean it comes out and it's floating in our heads. It's got to come out of our hands and our feet and our actions and a lot of other places. So with that said, we're going to be in the book of Hosea today. Here's Hosea and Hosea's wife, Gomer, and we're going to learn a little bit about them. Hosea means salvation or God's salvation. Uh, so that's just a little bit of information. Hosea is the only writing prophet who comes from Israel and not Judah, from the northern kingdom. He's also going to be the last prophet to the kingdom of Israel before Israel is taken away into captivity. So he prophesies to the northern kingdom. He is from the northern kingdom. Now, Hosea is going to be doing something really, really interesting at the beginning of his story. Every once in a while, uh, God uses the prophets to do more than just speak God's word. He uses the prophets to live God's word in very uh, interesting ways. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is supposed to lay on his side for like a year and not get up as something that he's showing the people about what he's doing. And so God asks Hosea to do something that is pretty rough to show his people what he's talking about. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Hosea, and we're going to skim through some of this stuff. But I'm going to kind of tell this for a second in a little bit more of a story than we're going to read from it, and then we can go over the bullet points. So God comes to Hosea, and God says to Hosea, I want you, and depending on your translation, there's some different words in here. I'm going to choose a softer one because there are kids watching. I want you to marry a wife who is unfaithful. Well, that's how you want to start off your marriage, right? is finding someone who God knows, who you know, is unfaithful. And so God, Hosea finds this woman, her name is Gomer, and he marries her. They get together, and they have a son. And they name their son Jezreel because God tells them to name their son Jezreel. And God says, I want you to name him Jezreel after the place where one of the former kings, Jehu, committed a lot of sin and murdered a lot of people. Boy, that's the name you want to give your kid, right? Naming him after somebody who was murdering, after a place where something horrible happened. I mean, we'd have to think about modern equivalents, but a place where a lot of death and destruction was caused. Is that what you know how to name your kid? No, of course not. So time passes, and Gomer gets pregnant again. But if you look in the Bible... It doesn't say she gives Hosea a son, because remember, she's unfaithful. And he has, she has a second son. It's not Hosea's. 
And God says, I want you to name this child Lorumah, or not loved. What do you think about that? That's another name we want to give our child, right? Not loved. Well, it's not Hosea's child, but still, right? Not loved. And God says, I want you to name this child not loved because I'm not going to show love anymore to the people of Israel. Hmm. She has another child, a son, and God says, I want you to name this third child Loami, not my people. Boy, these are great names, right? I know you're making a list of names you want to name your next kid. Pistol, you got this list ready. Yeah, this is what we're going to name the kid, right? No, of course not. We're not going to name the kids these things. These are, these are awful, horrible names, but God says these are not my people anymore. They chose to follow other ways. They chose to follow other gods. They chose to go to the Baals and to the idols instead of being with me, so they are no longer my people. Now, how, how do you think Hosea feels in all this? This is rough, right? That this is his life, that his life was to go marry an unfaithful woman. He gets married. They have the son, Jezreel, to the place where sins were committed, daughter named not love, son named not my people. This is just a great way to build a family, Right? And we say, man, God, why'd you have to ask Hosea to do this? But what's, what's he doing? God's making a point about his own people. And he's using this as an illustration for how Israel has treated God. Because Israel is like Hosea's wife, who he married her, but she left. And she kept making the wrong choice and the wrong choice. Is that where God's going to leave it? We hope not, right? We hope not. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 says, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore. Too many to count. Then up the place where they were told, You are not my people, it will be said, You are children of the living God. Ah, there's some hope here. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves, and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel. You can see the little asterisk there. When God will again plant, which is what Jezreel, the word means, plant his people in his land. So what's God just done? Saying now things are not good. Now things are not good. But a time's going to come when these things are going to change. And in fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, not loved becomes loved. Not my people becomes my people. Now in this time, Gomer stopped coming back. She's not living at Hosea's house anymore. She's off somewhere else. And in in the law that God gave to Moses, when someone is unfaithful, what are you supposed to do? Anybody know? Stone them. And if you get divorced from your wife, you're never supposed to marry that same person again. This is God's own law, okay? What does God tell Hosea to do? Go stone her, right? He says, go get her and bring her back. So Hosea goes, and he has to buy her from the man she's living with. But he does, and he brings her back, and she has to go through a time of purification before they can resume their relationship. What's God saying here? What's God's point? 
Who is God? Those verses say this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. This is a rough story, but it ends with some good news, right? Who are we in this story? The unfaithful. Yeah. We're the unfaithful. And we've, we've done things that have left our God. And God, he feels anger. God feels hurt. God knows things can't continue the way they've been going. But there's still hope for the future, right? So as we're talking about justice, as we're talking about righteousness, the justice standard was what in the Old Testament? We just talked about it. Stoner, right? The just standard for God is to destroy his people who have chased after idols instead of chasing after God. But God pursues justice and he pursues mercy, right? So we're asking today, what does it look like for God to pursue justice and mercy together? And as we go through some more of the book of Isaiah, we're going to keep that in our minds. Let's read a little bit more. This is from chapter 6. This is where our memory verse is from. We'll read four, three verses, four verses. 6 verse 4. O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Asks the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words with judgments as inescapable as light. So what's God saying? He said all this. He's, he's leveled the crime. They should know what's going on that's not right. They should know by now. But it's still not happening. So what does he say? I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. So what's that talking about? What is this verse talking about that we learned? Where are offerings and sacrifices happening? Temple. So it's part of worship, right? This is part of their worship. And they have got the sacrifices down, man. They can come in. They can do a tight service. They can get the right songs, the right prayers, the right whatevers, the right offerings, and do it all perfect. But what's missing? Their heart, right? They don't know God. Because if they knew God, would they do their sacrifices and then go off and hang out with Baal, their idol? And as we've talked about in the past weeks with Amos, would they go and do all these other things to these other people who are poor and oppressed? The immigrant, the widow, the orphan, the poor. No, they wouldn't do that because they don't get it. But like Adam, he says in verse 7, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. So the question then is what does it mean to know God? That's why we do this, right? That's why we do this. Because can we know a lot about God? Can we learn all the things? Can we read our Bibles every day and not get it? Yeah, we can. Because if the actions that we do in our lives don't reflect the things that we're learning, 
then it's just like studying a textbook, not about studying the living word of God where Jesus is going to come in and transform us, right? And we miss it. All right, so keep this in mind. We're going to keep on building on this thought, and let's look in the New Testament real quick. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. Because as we're talking about how does God pursue justice and mercy at the same time, let's look at how God in the flesh, Jesus, was doing this. Matthew chapter 9, we'll start in verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Do people like tax collectors? Do you like tax collectors? No, we don't like tax collectors. They were especially vile to the Jews because the tax collectors worked for Rome, and Jewish people hated Rome because Rome was already oppressing them, and then the tax collectors came in and made extra money off them by collecting too many taxes. So he goes to the person who they don't like, and he says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus says to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Who's Jesus hanging with? The stinking hammerheads. Yeah, a bunch of those people. Those people. He's hanging out with those people. You ever been those people? We've all been those people, haven't we? But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? You can just hear somebody saying that, can't you? Looking at some of us who have made choices and saying, look at that scum. Did they get it? Do they know God? Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy. Some translations to show love, not offer sacrifices. Where's Jesus quoting from? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. How does God balance justice and mercy? And what does it mean to know God? Who did Jesus like to hang out with? People who had it together? No, the people who knew their need for him. So according to Amos and Hosea then, because last week if you didn't see it online, you missed out on Amos chapter 5 where we talked about, especially in the back end, I'm sick of your worship, Amos says. I'm sick of your songs. I'm sick of your praise. I'm sick of your sacrifices. God says, I'm sick of all of this. Instead, I want there to be a flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. That's what God wants. So according to Amos and Hosea, what does God prioritize in worship? What does God want from us in worship? You say, well, how do I do love? How do I show justice? How do I know God? How do I be righteous in worship? Well, that's too small a box, right? Do our lives count as worship to God? Is what we do after we walk out of the building affecting how we're worshiping God? Yeah, we can't split our body or split our mind into these little packets 
where one thing over here doesn't mess with this one over here. If this is the only time where we're looking to God and the rest of the time we're looking to whatever else, we've missed it. If we're hurting someone, if we're betraying someone, if we're showing power over someone in a way that's unhealthy, and then we come into the temple, what's happening? What's our worship look like to God? It's not good. I loved our verse from last week, which was in Psalms. It said, your throne, O Lord, is built on a foundation of righteousness and justice. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. These are the things that are foundational and that are coming from God. And those are the things God wants to be foundational and coming out of us, too, right? Let's read some more of Hosea. Our first story from Hosea looked like God and his wife was the story that he used, right? The second one's going to be different. The second one's going to be the father and the son. So this is going to sound a little bit like one of the parables Jesus tells, if you listen real close. Starting in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refused to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War war will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. You hear the justice in this? You hear it? People have deserted God. So what's God going to let them do? He's going to let them go. He's going to let them perish. He's going to let them be destroyed. He's going to let them be taken away. It's a just consequence of their own actions. But, verse 8. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Admar, demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. No. I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. And I will not come to destroy. Boy, there's some stuff that we just learned about God, right? For someday, the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria. And I will bring them home again says the Lord. So what does it look like for God to pursue justice and mercy? Do we suffer consequences for our actions sometimes? Does that mean God doesn't love us? Can God let you go? 
boy, he didn't want to, does he? God's heart is to bring you back, to keep giving another chance. Sometimes we have to pay for things we've done. That's justice. That doesn't mean God's love stops. It's what some of you guys have told your kids, right? I do this because I love you. Because you've got to change. Because something is not right. Because we've got to get right. So the question then is, what does it look like for you and me to pursue justice and mercy? Now God says, I am God, not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. We're not God, are we? Nope. And if we think we are, we need to get up here and repaint, right? (laughs) But what does it look like for us? Let's read again from what Jesus says. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 this time. We're starting in verse 12. I'm going to read you a long section that's multiple headers, but they all tie together. And Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 12, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way is not my heavenly Father's will that even it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Okay, so what's Jesus starting with? He's framing this in how does God feel about you? God doesn't want anybody to perish. God's going to chase after. Verse 15, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Okay, what's he starting to talk about now? If we've got some infighting going on, if you and somebody else have an issue, like let's, let's try to work through it. We don't want to just leave issues alone, right? We want to give chances to reconcile and to make things right. 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, what's interesting about that, treating them as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector? We just talked about Jesus hanging out with pagans and tax collectors, didn't we? That doesn't mean that that's exactly what he's saying, right? What's he saying? That, that this is about how we deal with other believers. And there's times when we've got to say, okay, I've got to start treating you now like you're someone who doesn't want to be part of this. And so now I've got to reach out to you in a different way. Right? Okay. 18. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. God's saying there's a lot of power about what's going on here. I also tell you, verse 19, this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Okay? Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So what does it look like for you and me to pursue justice 
and mercy. For God, it's allowing for punishment to happen, but still offering love and hope. So what's it look like for us? I think the word that we have to use here, because we're not God, is forgiveness. We have to have a lot of room for forgiveness in our hearts, don't we? Now, does forgiving negate punishment or change? And that's what that verse said in the middle, where it said, you know, if someone's done something wrong, you've got to, we've got to address this. We've got to address this. And if we're doing something wrong, it's got to be addressed. If I'm doing something wrong, somebody's got to come and confront me about it because I've got to change. And if my heart is bending towards Jesus, then I'm going to be willing to change and accept whatever the consequences are. And if I'm not willing to change, if my heart's not bending toward Jesus, then it's time for you to set me outside and say, come back when you're ready to think about this different. And I hope that that day comes. Doesn't negate that, does it? So remember, as we're talking through all this, Justice and righteousness. Righteousness is an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people based on the image of God. Why do we want to keep forgiving people? Why do we want to do that? Because we want a good relationship with others. Because when we look at everyone on this planet, we see God's image. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians 6. It's against the the rulers and authorities of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's no person on this planet who is your enemy. Not really. It's people who haven't seen the light yet. That's our task, is to go out and pursue righteousness, but also to pursue justice, seeking out and helping vulnerable people who have been taken advantage of, including advocacy and systemic change. There's a lot of things that have been going on in this world, a lot of things we've been hearing about on the news, that there's broken systems, or systems that are not broken because they were put in place to hurt people in the begin with. And that's something that's got to change. That's something that we want to be a part of setting right. And change is okay. And if we've been part of it, then I have to ask for forgiveness, right? If I've been part of it, then I have to seek out ways to change and to do better and to follow God. Because God wants us, right? And the message in Hosea is that we've done wrong. God's sick of it. God's ready to let it be destroyed, but God's heart is still for you. God's heart still wants you. And you may have to go through a period of discipline, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love you and God doesn't want you. So our takeaway question today is to whom might we show Jesus healing forgiveness? Who do we know that needs an opportunity to change? Because maybe the forgiveness you offer can spark someone to want to be better or to do different. But maybe that's you that needs it. And maybe you need to come to God. And you need to know that you can be forgiven immediately. And God wants to change your heart. And God wants you. And God loves you. And that's good news. That's good news. Jesus died on the cross to take away the eternal punishment, right? doesn't mean there aren't some things we can still do on earth that get us in trouble. But that eternal death, that punishment is gone 
if we look to Jesus and say, I want to come home to my Father. I want to come home. So if you need anything today, if you need prayers, if you need forgiveness, if you know someone else who you want to start pursuing with God's love and the Spirit's leading, all these things are things we can pray about, we can talk about as we stand and as we sing.